Hello and welcome to episode six of Chin Chats. I'm your host, Davy Chin. This is a show where I talk to people that interest me about the stuff that interests them. Today, my guest is a math professor, a fountain pen enthusiast, a relatively new coffee snob, an amateur musician, and a cool person. Uh, welcome, Chris. Hi, thanks for having me. That's thanks a, for agreeing to do this. That's that's a lot of that's a lot of titles. <laughs> They all came from my brain. I didn't even write any of those down. <laughs> That's fantastic. Thank you. So, Chris, uh, just to give my my guests, my guests, you're the guest, to give my <laughs> listeners a, a background, tell us about yourself. Give us your, your life story in a couple sentences, where you're from, how you ended up where you are, what you do professionally, etc. Yeah, uh, that's, a, that's a big task. Uh, so let's, let's try. Um, so I'm originally from Texas. I uh, grew, grew up in Wichita Falls, uh, which is pretty close to Oklahoma, a little bit north of Dallas. And um, I guess I got really interested in music, as we'll be talking about later, uh, through, high, well, I was always interested in music and started playing guitar, shoo, probably later in high school, maybe 2006, 2007. Uh, my, one of my original goals, actually, well, I guess a dream, if you will, uh, was to become a recording artist and or sort of studio musician uh, etc. But for uh, many reasons, that didn't work out. Um, and I ended up here in academia, which I love. I think it's a great, uh, I wouldn't have it any other way. I love what I do. Um, and, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like I feel like that's a that's a common story. I wanted to be a professional musician. And now I'm doing this other thing. But I'm really glad I'm doing this other thing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it it is nice because in some sense, because um, uh, I also was fortunate enough to do graduate studies in Denton, Texas, which was very rich with musicians, um, especially people trying to make it. And knowing them and, and seeing their struggle in their day-to-day -day life uh, with, with how that was just the kind of work that they have to put in. Not that I wouldn't enjoy that kind of work, uh, but it does seem to be... It, it would take some of the soul out of what I like to do, uh, out of what I like to do. So it's, it is kind of nice to have it maybe just as a, as a hobby. Mm -hmm. That's something that I actually discuss with a lot of my students. So my, my audience mostly will know that I'm a music professor. Uh, it's a pretty hard transition for many of the college freshmen when you're in high school and you're an amateur musician in high school it's music is your escape. It's your fun. It's your hobby. It's the thing that gives you joy. Mm -hmm. And then when you transition to be a college music major and you're, you're studying at full time, it becomes your profession. And the transition from hobby and joy to profession can be a really difficult one. Uh, it, it's really easy to lose the joy and the fun of music making in that sense. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think it's really valuable to maintain joy while making music. So I think it's good to have a profession and have hobby hobby music in your life because then you can keep the joy and you don't lose that spark and that that enjoyment and that love and passion for the music making, which can easily be lost if it's a profession. Yeah. I mean, I think that's probably true for probably any activity. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So why math? Yeah, that's a pretty interesting, uh, that's kind of a f more of a funny story than, than any other. So I remember in junior high, well, so like I said, I, I wanted to go do music. And so I started undergrad at my local university, Midwestern State University in Wichita Falls, Texas. And uh, with the idea of sort of pursuing music 
in the future, but more from like the recording arts side of it and maybe being like a producer. Um, I declared a business major for my first semester, was thoroughly unimpressed. Uh, well, really more uninspired. I'll say uninspired <laughs> uh, with with the with just sort of the coursework. It wasn't very exciting. Um, and I think we took an aptitude test uh, pretty early on. And I scored very low uh, potential for entrepreneurship, et cetera. So I quickly realized that wasn't the route for me. And so I was thinking about what I had enjoyed in school before. And I, uh, I remember a short period of time in junior high school when I was into computers and I was teaching myself HTML uh, and I was interested in computer programming but had never really dipped into it. So my second semester of undergrad, I declared a computer science major with a minor in music. And I took a class which was required for the computer science major called Discrete Mathematics, uh, which is really sort of an an introduction to uh, some of the finite math models that are used in in computer science that you need to be familiar with. Mm-hmm. And I, I fell in love with that course. I loved the material. It was it's, it's fun. I mean, in some sense, it's like math at that level is more sort of like solving puzzles. And, and it can be very tedious and challenging, but... Once you figure it out, that sort of eureka moment is very satisfying. Right. And, and so I got addicted to that in some sense and had a natural aptitude. And so my third semester, I declared math major. Uh, and it's sort of in, it's not really has been history because there, there was a progression into deciding to pursue graduate studies, which happened maybe a year later. Uh, but that's sort of the, that's sort of the, the, uh, the beginnings, if you will. That's awesome. That's you know, they say third time's a charm. So your third major is the one that stuck. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. So, so there's, uh, there's a lot within the world of math. I think that, I mean, I, I say, I think, because I don't know anything about math other than what I've learned in college classes and high school classes, but mm-hmm. is there an area of mathematics that you find particularly enthralling or thrilling or something that you consider your specialty? Yeah. Well, my, yes, for sure. Um, I have an interesting, relationship with math because it's 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 a very interesting kind of human activity uh a lot of people can view it and i still view many aspects of it as uh i don't want to say soulless but it is just sort of formal um in some sense playing games with modus ponens uh, which is just pure deductive arguments and 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 that can seem a little bit uh, void, I guess, of any sort of emotional content. Uh, but from a philosophical point of view, it is very interesting because it's, it's, it's really the application of pure logic or just human reasoning as we've cultivated throughout the, the centuries. And it can, it can bring you to view the world in a different way. Uh, so I like that sort of, comp- uh, that sort of aspect of mathematics, the sort of more logic foundations, uh, and what we now know today is, uh, we study set theory as sort of the purest, well, it's not the purest, but it's it's in that realm of more sort of philosophical math and foundations, hmm. and really just getting at the core of human reasoning uh, in its sort of in its simplest form, because you're you're thinking about objects that you can define clearly, right? It's it's very easy for me to discuss uh, properties of real numbers versus, say, uh, justice. Okay, justice is a very vague concept, and and. Justice can differ from person to person. Maybe you believe that there is an ultimate true form of justice, but 
as human beings, we can't really maybe get to know that uh, in the in the purest sense. But I can understand real numbers pretty well. So I like that aspect. And that drew me into uh, what's called point set topology, uh, which is in some sense applications of logic. And it's, um, I read in a book, I think this is the best way to put it. Uh, it's a sort of abstractification of our notion of proximity uh, into places where it maybe starts to not make sense in the way that it usually makes sense to us. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just play around in that in that world. And it's, uh, it's pretty fun. Hmm. It sounds like fun if I were to understand more of it. It, it does take, I mean, so I think math is another subject, unlike many, uh, that the prerequisite, I mean, just the the sort of the learning curve that it takes to make it uh, is 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 very deep, right? I mean, we've been doing this for what well, I don't know over two thousand years, right? Uh, hmm. And it just accumulates, and so the it does take a lot. It takes it's a lot of work. Yeah, that's amazing. So, a, as a college math professor, uh, I, I can see there being two major types of of college professors: the college professors that are teaching the courses. Uh, that are directly related to the majors that that Mm -hmm. a student is studying. So example, a mathematics major and courses that are required to meet a gen ed requirement. Do you teach more in the major requirements or more in the general education requirements or a little of both? A little of both. I would say I probably teach a lot. I mean, what what you might call service courses, which are not only just gen ed, but uh, but the courses that appeal to other majors as well. I mean, mm-hmm. so computer science is a, really all the sciences require some math, so calculus um, predominantly. And so I teach a lot of those because IUK is not the largest, uh, it doesn't have the largest student population. Uh, we don't have a lot of math majors. Mm-hmm. So we don't have a lot of math major centered class. I mean, we do offer math, mentor, uh, math major classes every semester, but enrollment there is limited to the math majors, which currently is, um, I think, in the two digits. Sure. So I do find myself teaching a lot of more, I guess, service courses. Nice. That's a fun challenge, isn't it? It's, it is. It is. I mean, I like it. It's, it's the challenge at that, at that level is not so much uh, because with the major courses, they're sort of already interested in the coursework for the most part. Right. In, in service work, it's... It, it, the challenge is getting them interested <laughs> in, mm-hmm. uh, especially with math's sort of traditional, um, or at least uh, the, the popular opinion that math is, is difficult, et cetera. Uh, people come into classes sometimes with various attitudes about, uh, about the material. Right. And to try to change their mind is a um, very interesting challenge for sure. Yes, a Herculean task at times, <laughs> I imagine. For sure, yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So you mentioned that you are originally from Texas and mm-hmm. you did your graduate studies in Texas. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so is this, is Indiana your first home outside of Texas? Yes. And you came here, I presume, for your job at IU Kokomo. I don't presume that. I know that because yes. we're friends. That's right. <laughs> uh, and you, you've been you've been in Indiana for two years. Was it 2018 that you moved here? Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. How are you liking it? I like it. It's very similar to Texas in a lot of ways. Um, the weather's uh, just about as crazy, just a few degrees colder, mm-hmm. I think. Uh, mm-hmm. That's probably the only difference. Uh, the landscape is pretty similar. It's flat. 
I mean, I'm, I'm from central sort of, I'm sort of Wichita Falls is close ish to the panhandle. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's also pretty flat around there. Uh, but we have more cornfields in Wichita Falls. We just had more, more cattle. Um, sure. And the just general, it seems there's a lot of similarities. I enjoy it. That's good. That's good. Do you see yourself staying in Indiana for a time or is this a stepping stone onto your next thing or TBD? Uh, prob- well, I'm leaning more towards the former uh, because tenure track positions are maybe hard to come by and very enjoyable. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but I, yeah, I mean, if if opportunity changes, I mean, I would be open maybe to moving um, later on, but I, I don't have any plans of that. Good. That's that's especially good news for the members of the Hoosier Pen Club. <laughs> right. No, I, I, no exactly. That's a, a good reason to, to stick around. It's it's I found a very nice community here to be a part of, which I enjoy a lot. Yeah. So that that's actually a pretty, a pretty natural segue unintentionally. <laughs> uh, be, best way to ruin a smooth segue is to call it a segue, by the way. Uh so pens are obviously uh, a big part of your life. It's how it's how we met. It's how we've connected. Uh, how did you get into pens? Um, I know you talked about this a little bit on on another podcast that is recorded by some friends, the Leaky Nib Podcast, mm-hmm. which we've both been guests on. Uh, and so, if people really want to hear the more detailed story there, they can. But I imagine ninety percent of my listenership won't be listening to that. So, what is your entry <laughs> into the pen world? Uh, yeah, I mean, as it goes with a lot of people, I was always pretty peculiar about stationary as a student, um, even in probably elementary school. I remember uh, keeping, like, I would have spirals and I would doodle and draw other, like, not only just take notes and write various things. And I found uh, pleasure in certain kinds of writing instruments, right? So I remember getting into Pilot G2s for a time, um, Pilot, uh, the Precise V7s, I think, the, uh, uh, the ink pens with, like, the needle tip. That's the best. That used to be the only pen I used for grading. They're great. I mean, and and then I don't I don't remember using the retractable versions, uh, mm-hmm. which are fine also. But but I, I did use those a lot. Um, I mean, I liked the the variety of color, uh, the writing experience itself. I mean, they're much smoother than 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 just a ballpoint. And then uh, let's see. I think for my 18th birthday, my sister's godparents got me a cross ballpoint. Sort Classic. of. The, yeah, right. And and at the time, I, at the particular moment, I didn't really appreciate it because I, I had this uh, anti-ballpoint sort of <laughs> uh, sort of uh, disposition. Uh, but but I gave way and I, I tried it out and it was actually pretty great. So so I, I was playing around with cross ballpoints for a while. Um, I even bought a few more. Uh, I, I wouldn't say I was starting a collection, but I, I did like having more of them. And then I was bruise, uh, browsing, sorry, uh, browsing Cross's website and saw that they had fountain pens. And there it is. And I was like, "Whoa, what? What is this? These mm. these th- these still exist, right?" And so, so I was very interested. And I was already. This is, I mean, years later. This, um, I was already in grad school by the time I, I saw this. Probably two or three years in. So this is, I think, this is around 2013. Uh, and then I convinced my parents to get me across um the the sort of the version of the of the ballpoint century twos that you can buy at like office depot uh, mm-hmm. uh the fountain fountain pen version of that for christmas one year and it's 
it's been a rough journey since then, a very enjoyable. <laughs> uh, but I but I slid in real deep, real fast. I mean, I got that, and I was taking notes every day with it in grad school. Uh, it was great, and I bought um, Pilot Metropolitans as soon as I found them, and the Lamy Joys, which are the the longer, um, yeah, calligraphic ones with the with the stub nibs. And I just oh, it's been great. <laughs> I love it. What a beautiful entry. Yeah. And now and now look at you. I know, right? Yeah. I, I, I listened I listened to the episode of the leaky nib uh that you did earlier today just to remind myself what you talked about on there. And mm-hmm. at that point you you had mentioned the the dream of someday owning a Namiki Emperor. Ah uh, yes. And and to my knowledge, you now own a Namiki Emperor. That's true. Yeah, that was uh, to, to continue in with the with the rough journey, as it, as it, in some sense, I was planning on getting that emperor. I think next year was my original plan, uh, but it just mm-hmm. so happened that I guess the the black is not nearly as popular as the vermilion, uh, so I didn't have to wait very long. Yes, I'm trying to hold my jealousy in. <laughs> for for the listeners, uh, uh, Chris and I ordered. Uh, Namiki Emperors at the same time, and his has arrived. Was it? Been, it's been a couple of weeks already, almost a month. Yeah, it's been a couple and, of weeks. Yeah, mine is nowhere even near the horizon. So, I mean, it's it's somewhere, but it, <laughs> it could be quite. It could be quite some time until mine arrives. But yeah, but when it does, oh, what a glorious day it will be! It will be. It will be. Do you have? Do you have any other new pen acquisitions that I'm not aware of? Uh, well, since since I received that, I did get the Twiz B five eighty rose gold smoke. Uh, oh yes, the version that's two. The, that is the pen I'm using to take uh, show notes today. Oh, that's great! It's a nice pen. I really. It really is. It's really attractive. I like what they did with it. Mm-hmm. Do you have any pens that are in the near future, or I shouldn't say near future? You need, you need distant future. You just bought an emperor, but do you have any <laughs> pens that that you're looking at as a as a possible next next step? Well, I, I did put in an order with a scriptorium. I think it's Renee Meeks um, last year. And I think when I put that order in, uh, I think your turnaround time was uh, estimated to be 13 months. So I'm expecting that to be ready probably in about July, maybe August. Awesome. Uh, nice. But I am I am looking forward to that. Um, Custom made, like hand-turned pens. is uh, I, I, I like that a lot. Just the, the attention to detail that's put in. To these yeah. kinds of pens is very, very satisfying. And knowing the person that made the pen, right? I mean, you, well, I mean, I haven't met them personally, but knowing about them and seeing them on, on social media is, mm-hmm. is, is very satisfying in, in a personal way. Yeah. I had recently uh, had a conversation with a bunch of uh, undergrad students about social media and whether or not it had any benefit and merit at all in life. And hmm. I was on a, I was on a panel of people. Uh, this will connect, I promise. Uh, I was on a panel of people and one of the panelists commented that he saw absolutely no point to social media. He admitted that he has social media and he uses it, but he couldn't find any inherent merit or any 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 use or benefit uh, to social media other than other than staying connected with family that you don't see on a regular basis. Uh, and I, I rebutted with the fact that you can actually develop genuine community if you use social media correctly. And I pointed to specifically the fountain pen community on, mm-hmm. on Instagram. Uh, and the fact that, you know, the Ohio pen show that we, we attended last, 
October, mm-hmm. uh, there were several people that I had never met in person, but we follow each other on social media. And just from our, our fairly small interactions on social media, we were able to become practically instant friends and go have meals together and chat like we've known each other for decades, even though we've never actually interacted before. So yes, no, that, that's, that's, that's something I'm not sure if you've had that experience before at other pen shows, but that was also the first time that I had that experience at that sort of level. And it was, yeah. it's, it's really, it's just heartening to, um, to show up at a place, uh, and, and, and meet someone that you've never actually met face to face before, but you've been sort of vaguely following each other on social media for a while. Mm-hmm. And then it's just how, how immediately, like how, uh, friendly you are just immediately right off the bat. And it's, it's great. It's, it's right. And especially in these, for- these current times, I've felt a lot of, um, in the, the time of the quarantine. Um, mm-hmm. I've, I felt a lot of warmth just f- sort of from that community, e- even though it's indirect yeah. through say Instagram. Right. Yep. Uh, but, but there's still like, there's still some sort of support, if you will, from just community. Right. It's, it's really my favorite thing about fountain pens. I always tell everybody that asks me, why are you so into fountain pens? My first response is always the people. <laughs> yeah. And, and yes, I absolutely love the pens and I could talk about the pens forever and ever a day. But the people within the fountain pen community are just, as a general rule, warm and genuine and kind and inviting. And we're all we're all recognizing that one of our hobbies is one of the weirdest things to be into. <laughs> and so we just we set that aside. We have we all accept each other's weirdness and just move on to the next step of of building a friendship. And I think that's a unique and wonderful thing about the pen world. Yeah. No. And then it's it is it's definitely one of the better aspects. If, well, it's probably the best aspect. Yep, I, I would agree. So what what other hobbies do you have? I mean, when you're not teaching math and when you're not buying pens, <laughs> what what else what else do you do for fun? There's no other there's no other time. No, it's uh, mm-hmm. I, I do music um, somewhat. Uh, maybe less so now. It's it's been a it's been a struggle um just in terms of time management. Uh, but I but I, I still try to try to write songs and and just play play guitar that's awesome so writing writing songs what is what is songwriting for you is it a is it a catharsis is it a form of therapy is it uh just fun is it a little bit of both i would say it's a little bit it's a little bit of both um i i use hmm i i don't see songwriting in in any sort of utilitarian sense uh i mean i, I don't do it to pursue anything other than um, I'm going to put it in, in this kind of way, other than my soul overflowing and uh, it has to go somewhere. Right. Um, mm-hmm. and that, that's usually how I've produced songs. Um, I, right. I don't, the songs in some sense, write themselves, um, mm-hmm. as I've heard someone else put before. Um, and haven't been really haven't been writing a lot lately because job stuff time, mm-hmm. uh, but I, I still enjoy it. It's still good. That's awesome. I've always I've always wanted to write songs and have found myself never never fully able, which is how I know that it's not my calling. <laughs> I've written I've written a few, but it's not it's not my strength. I have I was a composition major in undergrad, and so I I did write a lot of music, but never songs. Songs were they they seems to elude me, and especially once it comes down to lyrics, my brain mm-hmm. just does not does not handle words very well. Right. That, that's actually the reason I don't write that much anymore because the lyrics are so challenging. 
Um, mm-hmm. I mean, just sort of in general, uh, if, if you hold yourself to certain, well, hold yourself, uh, you have certain uh, expectations. Um, I think that produces a, a huge limit on the creative process. At least that's how I experience it. Um, because of, I think when I was in, when I started writing songs, uh, probably around 2007, uh, I wrote a lot, I think in, in a couple of years, like I taught myself how to play guitar, um, within about six months, I was writing some things, which you might call songs. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, a, a lot of them are not very memorable and, and I've just completely forgotten about them, but I produced a lot. And I think it's because I, I was just pursuing the fun without having any expectations or, or anything. And now, now that I'm older and have been doing it for a little bit longer, I have, I have greater expectations for my lyrical content and that has stifled me quite a bit. Um, and mm-hmm. I'm not really sure how to get past it. Yeah. That's like a very long-term form of writer's block almost. Yeah. I mean, I've known a lot of musicians that that, that happens to, right? They'll have writer's block. Uh, but the few that I've talked to that have years of writer's block eventually get over it. So I'm still waiting for my day. <laughs> right, right. You're young. You've got plenty of time. Right. <laughs> Hopefully. Oh, that's amazing. So pens pens and music. So we we connect on both of those dots. Mm-hmm. And, and you're fairly recently going down deeper into the rabbit hole of coffee and discovering coffee. So, so yeah. tell me about that. Yeah. I mean, I've always been a drinker of coffee um, in its sort of more pedestrian offerings. Um, just right. Lattes at Starbucks or your <laughs> local coffee shop. And um, I started getting interested in, in the more sort of the quality stuff, the, the niche single origin um, offerings. I'm not really sure when that started, uh, but I do remember that one of the turning points uh, was meeting someone locally here in Kokomo uh, who roast their own coffee just for themselves. And they offered me uh, a few ounces of some, of some light roast from Burundi, which was excellent. I mean, it was, it was, it was great. Some of the greatest coffee I've ever had. So that's really what sparked it. Uh, around that same time period, I tried a, a geisha, coffee somewhere in Houston. Um, and that's, I've been exploring, uh, the single origin, small roaster sort of aspects since then, uh, looking for just really education, knowing what's out there. Um, I'm going to work on blends later. I just want to understand sort of what, what, try to distinguish the flavors from the various regions of the world and various, um, uh, color of roast, uh, how, how would you say, like length of the, the roast time? Mm-hmm. Just just trying to get to know, and I've been enjoying it uh, immensely. It's 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 been a great meditative practice. I'd, I'll make just a cup in the morning, look out my window, and uh, try to identify all the flavors that that, uh, that I experience, and it's it's wonderful. Something that I appreciate about you so much is is the level of depth that you go to when discovering these new hobbies. You know, that's... <laughs> It's something I've always felt strange about myself for is mm-hmm. is when I get into something, I don't just dabble. I, I dive uh, head first and, and go all the way. And, and I appreciate that <laughs> you and I are kindred spirits in that. Um, and, and coffee is such a beautiful thing to explore. We've talked a lot about coffee uh, off podcast, of course. Um, but what is your what is your brewing method of choice? I sort of alternate between uh, I do a pour over with a, a ceramic um, 
have a ceramic pour over and I put a paper filter in it uh, and I, I put a little bit of boiling water uh, on the filter first to make sure I get all the paper taste out. And then I'll, of course, brew that way. And my second favorite, well, actually not second favorite, just the second method I use because I sort of alternate between the two is uh, I use the AeroPress. And the AeroPress is fantastic. Uh, I mean, the ease of maintenance is, it's its incomparable to anything else. Uh, it produces a very great, a great cup. Hmm. I love the consistency of the AeroPress. Even if I'm, even if I'm a little inconsistent, you know, with timings, it's, I find that I'm, I'm always pleased uh, with, with my AeroPress. Yeah. So that's, that's, that's my go-to, my, my daily go-to. I do, I do occasionally do the French press if I'm feeling as though I'm going to be drinking a lot of coffee by myself, <laughs> but, but mostly it's the AeroPress to keep myself, keep myself uh, under control. Have you, have you been looking at the, the, what is it called? The Flare Espresso Maker? I have, I've seen it. I haven't looked into it at all. I've, I've seen it pop up on, on Instagram, but I haven't I've been done little, any research. I've been a little bit, uh, a little curious about that, um, but I don't have one yet. There's a there's a guy I follow on YouTube. I can't think of his name, of course, off the top of my head, but he's a he's a coffee person. And there's a video that he did where he went to IKEA and purchased every one of their coffee products <laughs> and and reviews them. Oh, his name is James Hoffman. I'll post his uh his YouTube page in in the show notes, but he's absolutely incredible. Watching him talk about coffee is it's like watching Elton Brown talk about food. It's just He's so intelligent. He's so knowledgeable. He goes into the science a little bit, but not so much that's unnecessary and talks about all of the best things. Uh, and he's he's just remarkable. But I ha- I'll have to see if he has a video on that because I'm sure his would be fascinating. That sounds great. Yeah, I'm going to have to. That sounds wonderful. He's he's a delight. He really is. So so coffee, music and pens were basically I mean, that's those are the only three things that you need to be to be my friend. I mean, that's <laughs> that's pretty that's pretty much it. Uh, so out, outside of hobbies and outside of your profession, I mean, those are those are things that take up your actual time and your actual brain power and your actual thinking and and energy. But if you if you could change if you could change paths and change directions and go into a dream job that's completely unrelated to mathematics. Hmm. What would your dream? What would your dream profession outside of your current one be? That's kind of tough. Um, I think if it if it if it couldn't involve mathematics at all, I would definitely try to be a studio musician. <laughs> Still, yeah. well, mostly mostly I would just want to be probably just a vocalist slash songwriter. Um, I, I do get a lot of enjoyment um, of playing guitar and, and accompanying myself, um, but but there's a certain kind of fun that I have when I just get to sing. Uh, mm. It's 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 a it's an interesting experience that I don't have in other, I guess, in other venues of yeah. activity. It's joy giving. There's, I mean, there's so much psychology around the joy that is made in in a person when they're singing uh alone in a community both and it's there's there's so much to be said about how much enjoyment and happiness can come from that activity yeah i find i find that a great deal uh in my own my own profession in my own career but i also find it a great deal lacking because I, as a conductor, as a choral conductor, I encourage people to sing and I instruct them to sing and I get them to sing with one another, but I very rarely sing 
myself. I very rarely sing in an ensemble or by myself. I don't like singing by myself. Uh, mm-hmm. So when I get that opportunity, it's that that little nugget of joy that comes from it, and it's uh, it's a, it's a, an addicting type of joy, really. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's there's a lot a lot to be said about the joy of singing. I think that's I think that's a good dream job, and I think you I think you could do it. I'm I've watched enough of your YouTube videos. <laughs> you, you've you've got the talent. You've got the talent and you, you unique flavor, a unique tone to your voice. That is is a good thing. Well, thanks. Sometimes you sometimes unique is used as a, a way to not say anything nice, but it's a positive one <laughs> in this word, in this instance. Thank you. So we've talked about coffee. We've talked about dream jobs. We've talked about all of those things. But one thing we have not talked about is a hobby that we're both looking at from the outside. Hmm. Uh, you're you, you have a toe in in the hobby a little bit. I I don't yet, but I'm very close. And that's watches. Ooh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And and something that I've discovered in my short tenure in looking at watches is that there's a fairly significant crossover among fountain pen enthusiasts and watch enthusiasts. Yeah. In fact, in fact, being in in interested in watches at all is in my life is the fault of John, uh, who of <laughs> course is is our pen supplier, our pen pusher, if you will. Yep. Uh, who's also into watches and uh, he encouraged me to watch one singular video on YouTube, which of course led to me watching every video that this particular YouTube channel had produced uh, over the course of n- not a lot of time. It was rather depressing time of life, <laughs> but I learned so much about watches. So why are, why are you interested in watches and, and what is next on the watch horizon for you? I know you have a watch or two, but what is, what is next on your watch horizon and why is that a, an interest to you? Yeah. I, I also have John to blame for this um, whole, yes. whole situation. <laughs> I was avoiding watches actually. Cause I, I remember um, when I went to the Chicago show last year, uh, hearing people talk about watches and, and seeing the interest in watches in the pen community. I was like, well, I don't, I don't need another hobby. I don't need to be into watches. Mm-hmm. And then uh, a year later now, well, actually less than a year later now, here I am uh, interested in watches, <laughs> but mm-hmm. I think what I like about them is is really, uh, I like the mechan like the, the right the mechanical automatic watches because they don't use batteries, for one, and and so there's there's a very interesting. How do you want to say it's it's, from a technological point of view, it's very interesting, mm-hmm. and and I just like the uh, just the idea. I mean, right now we're living in a world where everything uh, needs to be plugged into the to the wall, right? It needs to receive current, for power. Um, and, and I like things that, that don't need that. I mean, pens are a good example, right? I don't need to plug my pen in to use it. I just put some ink and I can go away, right? I can write. And I like to have a, something like a watch, which seems very complicated, do the same, right? Not require energy. Uh, as far as what's on the horizon, I'm looking real hard at the Seiko Presage, uh, mm. especially the one with the champagne dial. Mm. That is so your aesthetic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm having a hard time understanding why people like dive watches uh, so much, but thank you. <laughs> I I was looking at a couple dive watches just because that's what everybody seems to be into, uh, and so I was looking at them and and shopping around and trying to convince myself that my first watch would be, you know, a good entry level dive watch. And the aesthetics of them just don't they just don't do it for me. And eventually, I mean, it it only took about a month of enough research, I just had to tell myself, I don't need to spend money on an expensive dive watch 
if it's not of interest to me. And, mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm not very good at, at um, avoiding that kind of market peer pressure. <laughs> you know, I was looking at watches. My first thought was, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to have to eventually, you know, over the course of 10 years, work up to a Rolex because mm-hmm. everybody it's, you know, it's the King it's, it's Rolex. Everybody has a Rolex. Everybody loves a Rolex. Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of like a Nakaya in the pen world that I have to get to that point eventually. Well, I just, I had, I had to get over that. I had to tell myself, well, you know, this, this watch over here, that's not a Rolex is a third of the price of a Rolex and isn't a dive watch appeals to me a lot more from an aesthetic point of view. And from a functional point of view, it still tells time. Mm-hmm. So yeah. why, why would I have to give into the peer pressure of, of the community of watch people or pen people when in, in the case of Nakaya? And we all know how my Nakaya experience went. So yeah, mm-hmm. maybe, maybe I maybe I'm I'm putting Rolex up against Nakaya just to help myself <laughs> to not not want one. But I think there's I think there's a greatness to the dive watch, and I think it's it's awesome for a lot of people. But for for my context, I don't I don't see the appeal as much as most people. Yeah, I mean, even from the the like the purported utility of a dive watch is to allow you to dive, right? Right. I don't usually find myself in, in water unless I'm taking <laughs> like a shower. Right. And so, so I also don't really see the benefit of, of that added feature. Um, I'm not looking mm-hmm. for any great sort of, um, uh, waterproofness. I mean, waterproofness against splashing, but I think most, mm-hmm. uh, most automatics are going to be waterproof at least to that level. Right. Uh, and I, I just, yeah, it's, it's really just a question of aesthetics. I find the dive watch is a little bit too large in the, I mean, not, not, not in the actual physical sense, just like the, the presence then itself is, is, uh, it's a lot more, it's a lot bolder. Uh, right. I, I like the understated minimalist, um, sort of dress watches. I like that appeal a lot, a lot more. I'm with you. I agree with you wholly on that. I think that's a, I think I needed to hear that from you today. Just <laughs> <laughs> to know that I'm not the only person who's not, I think dive watches are great. It's just, they're just not for me. And I think yeah, that's okay. I agree. And it's, yeah, it should be okay. Right? I mean, it's, it's cause it's, you're going to be wearing it. Right. So you should, exactly. you should probably like it. That's, that's so very, very true. Uh, it reminds me of one of my favorite quotes that I use all the time from one of my favorite college professors whose name was John Mayer. Hmm. Not a joke, really. Uh, not okay. not the pop musician John Mayer, <laughs> uh, but he was my my freshman music theory teacher in undergraduate, and he always said that there is nothing wrong with music that people like. And it, as an as a eighteen year old undergraduate student, I just took that as justification to like whatever I liked. Mm-hmm. But now that I'm on on this side of the coin, I think there's a great validity to. Some things it's okay to have an opinion that is different than the norm. And, and there are some things that your opinion and, and relativity are okay. I'm genuinely or generally not, not a fan of relativity, but when it comes to an aesthetic point of view or an aesthetic opinion, I think that's so valid and so valuable, especially when it comes to art and things that are, you know, periphery, you know, fountain Mm -hmm. pens and watches and coffee and, all of these things that we've talked about today, it's okay to like or not like in in any regard because they are, you know, they're morally benign. It's going to do us mm-hmm. no good to to like them. It's going to do us no good to not like them. So it's okay to ha- be on either side of the fence. 
And and that is that's the moral philosophy lesson for today's episode of Jim Chat. <laughs> Uh, well, Chris, this has been a really fun conversation that's gone a lot of different directions, uh, which is something that I appreciate about you. We could talk probably for a month about all of these subjects and and neither of us would get bored. And I'm sure we um, will. <laughs> and and we will. And that's that's the joy of being friends off of a podcast. So uh, uh, knowing knowing all of the things that you're into, coffee and pens and music, where can people go to find you on the internet if they want to follow your pen hobbies, your coffee hobbies, or your music making? Yeah, on, uh, on YouTube, you can find me at um, C Caravana. So that's C-C-A-R-U-V-N-A, V-A-N-A. Um, and I, I don't know. Did you just spell your own last name wrong? Yeah, it's Vanna. Yeah, it's hmm. <laughs> it, That's amazing. It happens. And then on Instagram, it's I, I think it's also C Caravana. Uh, so C, of course, for Chris, and then C A R U V A N A. That should be the both uh, same handles on both. Uh, for Instagram, I mostly just post about pens, a little bit of coffee, and on YouTube, it's mostly uh, music and some math. And some math. I noticed that on your YouTube channel today that there were some math videos posted recently. Yeah. I haven't watched those yet. I've watched <laughs> a lot of the music, but I haven't watched those yet. The, the distance learning is is, is interesting, bringing up uh, interesting challenges also. Yes, it is. But it's an that, opportunity. That could be a, a whole podcast of itself. Yeah, but it's an opportunity for learning, I guess. And uh... Absolutely. And that's a good thing. That's a really mm -hmm. good thing. Uh, you can find me on all of the socials at Davy Chin. No E in Davy and two N's in Chin. You can find the show notes for this episode at chinthings.com forward slash chats forward slash six. That's the digit six. And always remember, everyone, nice matters. We'll talk to you later. Thanks, Chris. Thank you.